guys, ladies. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and these guys will be glad to give you one. You can take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I would encourage you, if, if you can make it at all, the family trip destined that we're doing in October, the prices dropped dramatically after the 1st of October and being fall break. It's kind of how we scheduled it. It's really fun. We, we've done that. We used to do it years ago, and so I, I suggested we just try it and see if we had some people interested. And it's really fun to go down there and spend some time together away from all that goes on here, all the pressure, stresses of being here. Just relax for a while and hang out at the pool and accidentally maybe the golf course and, and the ocean and the beach and just spend and at night hanging. We have a, we'll have a meeting room. We can hang out together and play dominoes and all that uh, cool stuff and just uh, kind of get to know each other in a different setting. It's always been really beneficial for me. And I think if you can make it at all, you would, you'll really enjoy just spending that time together. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Anybody found it? I promise. Okay, maybe not. I, I promise either this week or next week we're going to finish this outline for you to be a servant and then we're going to move on but it has really been God was convicting me again this week as I was studying some more stuff even going forward how essential it is to understand there's so many principles that we're looking at in this arena of, of being free but particularly this other side of freedom that we've been talking about now for a couple of weeks you notice there in Galatians 5 for you brethren have been called to liberty you're set free by Christ only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we are free, not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. So if you'll notice on your handout, number one, we've already looked at this idea of free, being free to serve each other. I'm going to get more detail on that in just a moment. But we've looked in chapter 8. Paul laid out the stumbling block principle that we should be sensitive to others. Knowledge, that we use the knowledge we have with love. We look at the conscience of a weaker brother, and we do not want to be a stumbling block. We're talking about the food offered to idols, and we're not going to go back over all of that. We've done that. Basically, he's answering that question, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, yes, I am. I look at you, and as we mature in our faith, it's never about me, it's about you. What can I do to help you, disciple you, mentor you, encourage you spiritually? And then last week we looked, began to look at a number two, second principle, this idea of being free, being free to be a servant. We saw a specific example in the life of the Apostle Paul to illustrate the stumbling block principle. And he says, I'm willing to be sacrificial for others. I'm willing to say to others, I'll give up my freedom in this arena, even though I may be free to do that particular thing. Again, we're not talking about sin. I may be free in this particular gray area. I feel that it's not a conscience problem for me. Then, But if it is a conscience problem for you, then I will sacrifice my freedom in that arena to enhance you. We began to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 last week where he talked about in defending himself, because the people were coming in and attacking him and attacking his apostleship, and he was defending it, and he's saying to the Christians at Corinth, you know me. We saw last week, he spent about a year and a half there. He had led many of them to the Lord and had begun to disciple them, and he says to them, you are my life's work. This is why I am here, and I love you. And as I was studying this again this week, as we're getting ready to move into the next 
aspect of that principle, this is very personal for me. I started to work, I was talking to a friend of mine this week and who happens to be on staff of another very large church here in town and we've known each other for a long, long time. And we were just talking about, he's a little older than I am, but not much, but we were talking about being in the ministry and I, I've been an employee of Central North slash Christ Church 30 years. 30 years goes by real fast. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I'm thinking, man, 30 is old. I started to work here when I was 30, and we're talking about, because the conversation came up about uh, how you got into the ministry and where you went to school, and it's always interesting when I talk to people, and they ask me, where did you go to seminary? And my answer is the University of Memphis, and they, they're like, what? I said, I, I did not. I have an undergraduate degree in economics, which helped tremendously in studying the Bible. At least you can understand stewardship, if nothing else, but... You know why I got my degree in economics? I don't know if I've ever told anybody or not. I started out in accounting. Where's Rhett Butler? I admire you deep, my son. For a lot of reasons, anybody who could be a CPA, I think they're just brilliant. My wife was into accounting, and I took two courses. And then it came to course number three, which I believe was called cost accounting. I went the first week, and I said, dear God, I have to get change major. I have no idea what this guy is talking about. And I went home, and my wife, who did this for a living, she was trying to explain stuff to me. I said, Mary, I don't get it. I can't get it. I'm not ever going to get it. So I said, I've got to change majors. So I started looking into business school, all the different majors. You know why I picked economics? Because all you had to do in economics is be able to talk real good. Think about it. You listen to these talking heads on the radio. They don't, they're all different. And nobody even watches. You listen to CNBC. One guy will say this about the stock market. And the next guy will say something totally contradictory. Neither one of them know what they're talking about. I'm thinking, I could do that. I could stand up and talk and not know what I'm talking about. I said, that's for me. So I got a degree in that. And the only reason I got it is I had a scholarship that ran out in eight semesters. And I said, by the time this scholarship runs out, I'm going to have a degree or I'm going to be in trouble. I remember my dad coming to me when I was a junior in high school. My dad, in his inimitable way, said, you plan on going to college, son? I said, yeah, dad, I'd really like to go. He goes, well, you're on your own. And I thought, you know, I maybe I ought to do good in high school and uh, get one of them their scholarship thing. So I did. All right, verse 19. Drop down to verse 19 of chapter 9. The next point about this stumbling block principle from the example of the Apostle Paul in his own life. And he has said to, the, to the, these Christians at Corinth, he's laid out the principle for them, and he said to them, I want you to understand, you are my life's work. As I have mentioned a moment ago, that's why it's very personal for me. I love what I do. I consider it a high privilege that I'm able to stand up here every week and to open the Word of God to you. My prayer as I sit in that little chair right there every Sunday morning before I come up here, I pray the same thing over and over. I prayed it last night before I go every Saturday night. So I'm laying there praying. I pray one thing. Lord, let, I want them to hear from you. I want them to hear the word of God. And I realize God uses personalities and he, and he gives us spiritual gifts. And he made Randy the way he wanted Randy to be. Now why? I don't know. I'll ask him when I get to heaven. Lord, why did you make me so good looking but yet no talent? It's a curse, Lord. I don't understand. He gave me what well, he gave me because he, want, he knew me prior to the foundation of the world. I ought to encourage you that much, that he knew you. He knew me, and he made me exactly the way he wanted me to be, to shape me, to mold me, and then say, now, Randy, I want to use you. So I do not take it lightly, and I consider it a, not just a calling, but a high privilege to be able to stand up, share the word of God, and to be involved in people's lives. And it, it is a privilege. And, and so I can understand having been criticized and having been lied about over the years, that I can understand when Paul, this was very personal to him. He loved those people. And to have these other guys come in and lie about him hurt him deep. And he says to them, 
I've done all that I do because I love you. You know me. I've poured myself into you and I care about you. I'm willing to sacrifice whatever I need to to help you, enhance, to encourage you, disciple you, bring you along. So now you get to verse 19. And he said, you are my life's work. The second thing he wants him to understand is I'm here to serve you, serving all of you. No matter who you are, no matter what your background, no matter where you come from, I'm here to serve you. Look at verse 19. It's a very powerful verse. He's already laid out, we talked about this last week, that he was free to to be paid for what he did, but he did not take the money so that he wouldn't offend anybody. Now look at verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. He's illustrating the principle. Though I am free, I have made myself a servant. I really want you to make sure you catch what he says there. For years, I taught a class in, in, uh, at our Bartlett campus. And, the, and initially, when I began the class, the title of the, the name of the class, you know, people like you like to name your adult Sunday school classes, interesting names, like a lot of churches, you'll see a koinonia class. That kind of looks cool because it means like you know a Greek word, koinonia, which means fellowship. Well, the name of ours was bondservant, and that's exactly what he's talking about here. If you read through his epistles, you'll see himself prefer, on a number of occasions, Paul will refer to himself as a bondservant. And here's what a bondservant was. Someone, and it goes all the way back to, to the children of Israel, someone who had been set free as a servant but chose, please don't miss that, chose of their own free will, their volition, to remain and serve their master because they loved the master. Even though they were free, they wanted to serve the master. And what you see in the writings of Paul, what's, uh, if you grab this principle, it will change your Christian life. This is when you really begin to understand what it means to live out the the Christ life, is that I choose to serve Jesus, and I choose, no one forces me to serve you because I love you. That's why he's willing to say, I'll sacrifice on your behalf, because you're that important to me. You think about your family, for example. How about you love your wife, your husband, your children, your grandchildren, your siblings, whoever it might be, and you're willing to do whatever you need to do for them because you love them. Well, exponentially, it should be stronger within the body of Christ. We think about what Jesus, how much sacrifice for us. And he turns around and he says, now you go and do likewise. That I love you enough, I will sacrifice for you. Servant of all. And the Greek, when he's here in verse 19, is extremely strong in the emphatic. I have made myself. I've chosen to do this. And notice the end of the verse. Why did he do that? Look at the end of verse 19. That I might win the more. I'm willing to sacrifice. I've chosen to be your servant, whoever you might be, and the reason being that I might win you to the gospel, that I might bring you to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is and faith in him so that you too might have the peace that I know, the hope that I know, the joy that I know, the eternity that awaits a believer, that I might win the more. Hang on to that as we walk through this because it will be important. What he's saying is I will pay any price of self-denial of my freedom if it gives me an opportunity to share the gospel and see someone else born again. As a matter of fact, it's really interesting when you study the early church, because this was their mantra. It was simply they existed to help other people. You study history in the early church. For example, the leper colonies. Nobody would go into a leper colony. Why? Because you didn't want to get leprosy. It was, a, it was a death sentence. Who went in and took care of them? Christians did. Christians did. Knowing that they would probably get leprosy and what would happen to them? They'd end up in one of those colonies, and they would die. They were willing to do what it took. As a matter of fact, studying this week and reading some more stuff, many of them literally sold themselves into physical slavery 
would offer themselves to someone, buy me as a slave so that they could be a slave and witness to other slaves. They took it seriously, didn't they? Their faith was everything to them. That's why Paul writes, for me to live is Christ. They took it seriously. He said, whatever it takes, Lord, I will do so that others might come to the gospel. The next point, verse 20. So not only will I will serve you, I will adapt whatever I need to do, adapting to where you are. Look at verse 20. Here's how he explains here how he served them, what he would do. I love this passage. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, that would be the Gentiles, as without law, not being without law toward God. Apparently they were without law. But under law toward Christ that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. What he's doing in verses 20 through 23 is reminding them and giving them again some examples of how I became a servant of anyone so that I might win some. Just for a moment, I want you to think about who's writing these words. This is Saul of Tarsus, who is now the Apostle Paul. What was Saul of Tarsus? What did he do for a living? Anybody know? It's off the top of your head. He was basically the executioner. He didn't actually kill people, but he got them killed. And who did he kill? Have killed. They were in prison. Followers of the way, also known later as Christians. And he was really good at what he did. He was a Pharisee. He was, when it came to the law, you read Philippians, he was self-righteous. He was on the Sanhedrin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. These are all quotes. He was at the top of the ladder as a Jew. You couldn't get any higher unless you were the high priest. That's who he was. And then he got saved on the road to Damascus. Prior to that, he followed believers around, would have them imprisoned, and if possible, executed. Then God, Jesus, miraculously appears to him on the road to Damascus, saves him, and says, I want you to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Hang with me. So now he goes back into the church. After being discipled himself, he goes back into the church, which at this point in time, historically, was almost exclusively Jewish. Can you see him walking into the church meeting? Remember, what did he do for a living prior to this? He was their number one enemy. And he comes through the back door and says, hey, I'm, I'm here. What's up? What time have we had the chicken? We're going to watch a football this afternoon. What are y'all going to do? When you walk into the meeting, what are you thinking if you're in that meeting? Well, who's he here to get this time? Where are we going to hide? Oh, it's Saul of Tarsus. And he wasn't readily accepted by all. Can you blame them? Of course not. They're normal. But then he begins to do what the Lord called him to do. Beautiful picture. And by the way, what it shows is if God could save him, who can he save? Anybody, including me. And you, he was their number. It's all like it's God reminding you of charge here. Not you, not Saul, me, God. I'm in control. I want you to know I'm going to use Boy, did he. Uh, matter of fact, most of the things you know from the Bible, he wrote. He wrote under the inspiration of. So verse 20 through 23, he gives them the examples. Look at verse 20. It's powerful. He said, I became as a Jew. Well, wait a minute. He was a Jew, wasn't he? Well, how do you think the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, and the Hebrews who were in authority and had Jesus crucified... What do you, when they found out Saul had went to the enemy's camp, how do you think they, they acted toward him then? He was now the enemy. So he's saying, I did whatever I had to do to reach Jews. I became as a Jew, even though I was free, and here's his point in context. I'm now free from the ceremonies and the rituals and all the traditions of Judaism that he had lived by his whole life and the law. He kept the law. In Philippians, he says he was self-righteous. He kept the law. That's an incredibly arrogant thing to say. 
But that's what the Pharisees believe. We're righteous because we keep the law. He says, now all the things that they think are important, I'm going to go back into their midst. If they need me to go through a ceremony so that I can reach them, I can do that, even though I don't have to. If it gives me an opportunity to sit down with them and only eat the kind of food they want to eat, I'm all right with that. I can do that. I can hang with them so that I can reach them. I want you to listen to some verses. Romans chapter 10. Remember now, he's Jewish. In Romans chapter 10, Paul writes these words. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, that would be Jews, you see it on the screen, is that they may be saved. Now, these were people who hated him now, wanted him dead because of what he had done. Notice, my heart's desire and my prayer is that those Jews might be what? might be saved, that they might become followers. They might become Christians as well. He loved them, despite the fact they now hated him and wanted him dead. Romans chapter 9, he writes these words. Just unbelievable what he writes in Romans chapter 9. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, fellow Jews. You see that? Please don't miss that. If, you, if they were saying, and these people were coming in and saying, ah, oh, he, he doesn't love you. Look at what he's saying. I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ or anathema. What he's saying is, I love my Jewish people, my countrymen according to the flesh. I love my Jewish brethren so much. If it were possible, I would give up my salvation if it would save them. You see that? He's saying, if I could go to hell for them so that they could be saved, I would do. Now, did he love those people? First thing he said to them in defending his faith, remember, you're my life. You're the only reason I do what I do. I love you. I care about you. And I don't care whether you like me or love me or not. I love you. Jesus, he saved me. I want to see you saved. He loved those people. Another example is in Acts chapter 16. It's almost humorous, but it's very powerful. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Timothy are going to visit. Notice what he says. Paul wanted to have him, that's Timothy, to go with him. He took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father, this is Timothy, was Greek. You see that? I don't know if you know what circumcision is. Look it up. This is a grown man. My father was circumcised as a grown man, and I remember us talking about it toward the end of his life and how what a horrific pain that was a grown man to go. Look at that. Paul says to Timothy, now we're going into an area where there's going to be Jews, and if you want an opportunity to talk to them, you're going to have to get circumcised, and I'm going to do it. Whips out his knife. And what does Timothy say? That's what it takes. That's sacrifice, pardon me, and that's sacrifice. He said, okay. I'll give up whatever I got to to reach those people because he wasn't a Jew. He was half. And if he wanted to talk to them, he had to be circumcised. And he said, I'll do that. Secondly, verse 21, to the Gentiles, those without law, unlike the Jews, I'll do what I got to do amongst them to reach them. I want to show you something. I want you to, we don't do this very often, but I think it's really important. Flip over to Galatians. We're going to come right back here. I want you to flip over to the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. Galatians, also written by Paul. All right, off the top of your head, I want you to name another disciple. Paul, obviously, is an apostle later on. Name another one. Who said that? First person said it. Peter, first name, he's always one that comes up. Paul is talking to Peter. I want you to see this, or it's about Peter. Chapter 2, verse 11. Everybody there? All right. When Peter had come to Antioch, I, Paul, writing the book, the letter, 
I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. I want you to see this. This is Paul, the apostle, Peter, the apostle. Let me give you a little history, catch you up right quick. The early church was first led, it was when it was at Jerusalem, exclusively at Jerusalem, was led by Peter. Then when it began to spread out and to go into other arenas, it was then uh, led by Paul. These were the two leaders of the early church. Are you with me? All right. Paul gets in Peter's face because Peter is to blame for something, and they have a serious disagreement. All right? Read on. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. Peter, who's Jewish, would eat with Gentiles before these other men came. Are you with me so far? All right. But when they came, Peter withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. You see that? Because these guys who came in were Jewish, Peter, who was Jewish, who had been spending time with Gentiles, eating with them, and these Jews are coming in, what does Peter do? No, I better not hang out with those Gentiles because my Jewish brothers are here, and they're not going to like it. Read on. The rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. Paul got in Peter's face and said, you're being a hypocrite, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy, that it reached not only Peter, but it also reached Barnabas. And if you know anything about Barnabas, he was one of Paul's close associates next Timothy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, Paul is a tough dude. They were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter before them all, they're all together, and he gets in Peter's face. If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, but by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. He said, Peter, let me give you a little lesson. Yes, we're Jews and yes, we knew the law. How did you get saved, Peter? By the law or by faith in Jesus? What was Peter's answer? What did he know? Of course, he'd gotten saved by faith. It's not by keeping the law. Paul's reminding him of how he got saved. Justified, by the way, means declared righteous, saved, born again. Verse 17, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we're saved by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not, God forbid. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Then you can go back to 1 Corinthians. What he's saying is, Peter, you're wearing a mask. You'll hang out with the Gentiles, but then when the Jews come along, you won't do that. You're either saved by faith in Christ, not by the law. Which is it? Peter knew the answer. And you can read over in Acts, God finally got Peter's attention, the story of Cornelius. At the end of that story, he's eating with a Roman centurion, a Gentile. At the end of that, it's a beautiful passage. Peter says, I now perceive that God is no specter of He got it. We're talking about the leader of the church. This was a serious deal, wasn't it? We still have some of those problems today in the church, don't we? We'll accept certain people, but not others. God has no respect to persons. The gospel is the gospel. Paul said, I will adapt. And I love this principle. I became as a Jew. Gentiles, I became as a Gentile. Now verse 22, to the weak. He's talked about Jews. He's talked about Gentiles. And now in the context, he's talking about those within the church. He's been dealing with this principle. I became weak. Back to that stumbling block principle. 
I became weak. Verse 22. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. What's his point? We've already talked about the stumbling block principle, and he's reiterating it. Leading, he's been leading up, building his case. Here's the example in my life. When I was needed to relate to the Jews, I related. I need to relate to the Gentiles, I related. And in the church, if there's a weaker brother, I'll give up my freedom because I love him. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus Christ from Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. One of them, this is one of the Pharisees, a lawyer, scribe probably, asked Jesus a question to test him. Here's the question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to notice the end. Very last thing Jesus said. On these Two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You see that? This is the Son of God, the greatest teacher they ever knew, and they admitted it themselves. So they're asking him, Lord, what about the law? What's the greatest commandment in the law? Remember, they're Jewish. The law to them was everything. Jesus said, you want me to sum it up for you? Here it is. You love God with all your being, and you love your neighbor as yourself. What he's saying is, then you've got the Scripture, because the law and the prophet, the euphemism, are everything they knew as the Scripture, what we would call the Old Testament. Jesus said, you want to sum up the Old Testament? Here it is, love God and love others. See, here's the point about this principle. Paul's trying to get them to understand. Yes, you're free. We talked a lot about freedom. You're free. But more importantly than being free is love other people. Look at verse 23, and we're going to stop there today. Look at verse 23. Verse 23. He's all these things Paul's just talked about, all these things that he would adapt. Look at verse 23. This I do, all this adapting, Jews, Gentiles, in the church, this I do, for the gospel's sake. What's the gospel? The good news about whom? Jesus Christ. I do it all for Jesus, that I may be partaker of it with you. Powerful verse. The word partaker in Greek means joint participation, sharing in common. That koinonia word fellowship. Here's, here's what he's saying. As a Christian, a former Pharisee that God has saved, I am Jewish. I take the gospel to the Gentiles. I'm part of the church. I do these things. I meet people where they are because that's what Christians do. For example, you read the gospel. The number one criticism of Jesus Christ, what? He's hanging out with sinners. Zacchaeus, the woman at the well, on and on. They criticized him because he was spending time with prostitutes, people of lesser reputation, and tax collectors. He wasn't righteous like us. Paul is saying, I'll be the Gentiles, I'll be a Gentile. The Jews, I'll be a Jew. The weak brother, I'll be weak with him. If it gives me an opportunity, the gospel, that's Jesus, if that's what I, we do. Joint participation. Up there on your screen, last point, that's our goal. Notice he says in verse 19, I want to win the more. Verse 20, I want to win those under the law, the Jews. Verse 21, I want to win those without law, the Gentiles. Verse 22, I want to save some. Verse 23, for the gospel's sake. You see that? You see it. Everything that went through his mind was, yes, I'm free, but I'll do what I got to do and get saved. And I think sometimes the church, do you realize there are third world countries that send missionaries to the United States? That's pathetic. Why do they do that? Because the church in America has just kind of become complacent. It's about me. As long as we got Peter Simons and the music is good, I like this. I'll put up with Randy. But if I have to, you know, if the music's not good, I'll move on down the road somewhere else. They got good music down here or over here. It's not about the gospel. 
What about my next door neighbor who never goes to church or doesn't know Jesus? Do you, do you agonize over that person? Do you pray for them? Do you ask God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel? Does it, do you have a burden, the weaker brothers, that they can sure? You get them, help them with their struggles? All Paul thought about. And I love to just read his life. Just read through the book of Acts. And one of the things that jumps out at you is how much, how much he loved everybody who hated him. I'll make this last point and we're going to pray. It's one place where Paul lists all the things he had gone through, being left for dead, being bitten by poison snakes, shipwreck, all the things he had gone through in his life as an apostle. You know what the very last one he mentioned was? Talking about being in perils of, di- of robbers, perils of this and perils of that. And the last thing he mentioned, he said, and besides all of that, every day I'm burdened about the church. He loved his fellow and he only wanted to see people saved, Christian, that other people. Let me ask you, wasn't that the great commitment? Isn't that what Jesus told us? Go into all the world and make disciples of the nation. You know who the nation were? That was Tyre. Jesus talking to Peter was in that group. It took Peter a while to get it, didn't it? He was saying, I want you to go out and I want you to meet Gentiles and I want you to bring them into. That was hard for them to do, but that has not changed. That's why we're here on the planet. We're not going to solve the problem in Syria, but God is bigger than that problem. Well, we have truth. Does truth do? And it makes you free to be a servant. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we thank you that you are alive. We thank you that Jesus Christ came. Not only that he came, he gave his life, the gospel. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. Lord, we thank you that he conquered death. It never has to be done again, that we could be saved because of what Jesus did. For those of us who were born again, I pray we'd have the mentality Paul writes about. We're free, but we want to be free to serve each other. We want to be free to serve our lost friend, neighbor, family member. We want to be free to serve each other within the church. Free to serve whoever we come in contact with, because that's what Jesus was. Joint participation. I pray, Christian, we'd be convicted to win people, to see people, to share the gospel. And Lord, if there's somebody here who's not a Christian, it would be their moment to say, Jesus, thank you for dying in my place, taking my sin. Please forgive me, save me into my life. We pray in Jesus. Please.